Bible with me and turn with me to the third chapter of the book of Jeremiah. I told you I have no intention of preaching uh, all the way through the book of Jeremiah, but uh, so far I just uh, keep being led back there. Uh, And uh, last week uh, we began looking at, uh, we looked at the second chapter uh, as uh, as a whole, uh, which is uh, really the first sermon uh, recorded uh, of, uh, of Jeremiah, uh, and he uh, described the condition, uh, cried out against their sin and their uh, spiritual adultery. Uh, and beginning in chapter 3, uh, this sermon is one that uh, kind of leads them then in what are you going to do about it? Uh, what do you do? Uh, what should the Jews do? Uh, about the uh, situation uh, they find themselves in. Uh, and uh, he's going to begin to give them, uh, he's, or he's going to give them here, uh, four reasons that they need to repent. Uh, and as I looked at this text and I thought about it uh, and, and went over it and uh, prayed about this text, uh, I, I thought about uh, this, this truth, and I believe this is a truth. If I was to go out, into the, into, the, into the professing Christian world uh, and say, what is one thing we need uh, today? I, I think by far and away the number one answer would be revival. Uh, that that would be the answer, uh, may not be the exact word they would use, but in some way or another, uh, that would be the answer of, uh, it, would, it would probably almost be uh, a unanimous uh, vote for revival. Uh, they may not think of it, I'm certain if it was a multiple choice question, uh, that revival would be uh, the number one, uh, number one selection. Uh, the only problem uh, with our prayer for revival uh, is that in some ways uh, that is getting the cart uh, ahead of the proverbial horse. Uh, we want revival uh, without paying the cost. We want revival uh, to come in our churches, in our nation, in our lives without taking uh, the necessary uh, steps that lead to revival. What, what, uh, what Jeremiah wanted to see uh, among the Jews was a revival. Uh, it is obvious from the two chapters we have looked at uh, that they have drifted away uh, I don't even want to know if you say drifted. It may be better to say they ran away uh, from the leadership of God, from His commandments. Uh, they have uh, allowed, uh, again, idolatry. Uh, they are being accused here of, uh, of spiritual adultery. Um, and, and they have allowed these things to uh, come into the camp. They have allowed this sin uh, to come into camp. And they need revival. Uh, but before before revival can come, uh, there must be repentance. Uh, there must be uh, uh, a change. Uh, one of the first jokes I remember uh, learning as a, as a child uh, is uh, the guy that goes to the doctor uh, and says, Doctor, every time I do this, uh, it hurts. He says, well, don't do that. Uh, you know, and, and that's the answer to, uh, for revival. If we want revival to come, there are some things that are going to have to change 
that lead to revival. We're going to have to practice. We're going to have to have uh, repentance. And many of you have, um, uh, over the years, have heard my my very elementary uh, definition or illustration uh, of repentance. Repentance uh, is uh, when a person is uh, going down the road and, and they're traveling in a, in a certain direction. Repentance is not slowing down, but continuing to go in the same direction. Uh, that's what many people uh, think of when they think uh, of repentance. I just won't do that as often. That's not repentance. That's slowing down. Uh, and, uh, it's not even going down that road and just stopping and standing there. If I'm going this way and it's the wrong way and I stop, I'm still on the wrong road, right? I've just stopped going any further uh, down that wrong road. If you're going... Uh, somewhere in your car uh, and you realize uh, I'm on the wrong road. You don't just pull over to the side of the road and stop. You, know, you, you get off of that road, right? Uh, you know, just pulling over and stopping won't get you back to where you need to be. And so my elementary illustration of repentance is it's not slowing down, it's not stopping, but it's turning around and going back in the right direction, going in the direction where you are supposed to go. Uh, and that is repentance. And so Jeremiah this morning is uh, going to share with us four reasons that, uh, that repentance uh, should be uh, part of our life. Four reasons uh, why uh, we need to repent. And, and I'm sure uh, there are other reasons that could be added. I'm sure uh, we could go through Scripture and find other uh, passages of Scripture that deal uh, with this topic and find uh, even more reasons. But uh, I think Jeremiah has given us and, and really taken, uh, again, a, a long list of reasons for repentance and, and kind of uh, compiled them into four uh, simple, memorable uh, statements about why uh, we need uh, repentance. And so, uh, look at me, if you will, beginning in this uh, third chapter, uh, as uh, he uses an illustration that would have been, uh, again, particularly uh, relevant, particularly uh, in, uh, in, in Old Testament biblical times, uh, in, in our day, uh, a conversation regarding uh, divorce and remarriage has uh, lost some of its uh, of its punch because uh, it is so uh, common. But for them, it would have been a particularly powerful uh, illustration. As Jeremiah says in verse one, he says, "If a man divorces his wife and and she goes from him." and becomes another man's wife. And, and I think that's clear, but let me just make sure. A uh, woman leaves her husband and marries another man. Uh, will he return to her? Uh, if, if a woman leaves her husband, marries another man, will the previous husband, the first husband, take her back? Would, that, would not the land be greatly polluted? Uh, you have played the whore with many lovers, and would you return to me? What Jeremiah says uh, is, again, he uses this, uh, this illustration of a, a woman who leaves her for her first husband. She says, uh, he says, would she, would later on, uh, would her first husband take her back? 
and the implication that he makes there is he says no. He says no because he says that would lead, he says it would pollute the land. He said we would have such a messed up uh, land that we wouldn't know who, who was the baby's daddy. We wouldn't know who was married to who. We, we would be running around uh, changing from house to house and, and going back and forth and, and we would lose all, uh, all of our morality. We would lose all uh, semblance of society, of order, uh, if we allowed uh, such things as, uh, as this to, uh, to take place. And so uh, he's using that in a, uh, as a spiritual analogy because he goes on then uh, and says, you have done just that. He says, you have, uh, and, and listen, I, I'm just, uh, you know, I, I know it's a, a blunt word, but he says, you have played uh, the whore all over uh, the region, and now when you find yourself, anytime you find yourself uh, in a bind, anytime you find yourself uh, in, in desperate times, then you come back uh, and want me to rescue you. Uh, he says, you know, you, you wouldn't do that in your home. You wouldn't do that uh, with your husband. You wouldn't do that, uh, you know, in, in that situation. Why would you think uh, that that is okay, spiritually speaking? It's the first reason that we have uh, for, uh, for that is when we look at this, uh, look at this passage, he says to them, uh, would you return to me, declares the Lord, lift up your eyes. Uh, when we see this passage uh, and look at it, God is saying to them, he's saying, when you look at this and take it apart, he's saying, even though you have done that, I still love you. He says, we would, that would never be accepted in society. That would never be accepted in the world. But I want you to know, if you will come home, I still love you. I will still take you back. This is a, a, a picture as well of Hosea. Uh, when Hosea uh, married the prostitute, uh, God says, even though you have been sinful, even though you have uh, rambled the world, you have, uh, you have practiced spiritual adultery, He says, I still love you and I will take you back. Now, well, the first reason we have for repentance, uh, and this is really going to be uh, honestly a very simple uh, message because these are not complicated. Uh, he says, the first reason that you have to repent is because I still love you. Because I want you to. Because you, I, I love you enough. Even though you have been sinful, even though you have uh, willfully chosen to go out and, and do uh, practice idolatry, spiritual adultery, even though you have willfully chosen to be disobedient, you have willfully chosen to ignore my commandments, you have willfully, spitefully, belligerently chosen to go against all of my commandments, I still love you. Wow. Wow. Do you hear that this morning? God still loves you. There is some this morning who are listening to me, whether in this room or online. There are some of you who are listening and watching this morning who need to hear that truth. God still loves you. 
Satan, one of his favorite ploys, one of his favorite practices is to come to the person, come and climb up on your shoulder and whisper in your ear, God doesn't love you anymore. You have been too wicked, you have been too evil, and God could never love someone like you. I want to tell you something. The Bible tells us that He first loved us. He loved you before you were lovable. He loved you, the Bible says, while you were yet a sinner. Why should you turn around? Why should you change? Why should you get off of the road you're on? Because there's someone back there who is waiting on you. There is someone back there who is going to every dive, who is going to every bar, who is going to every low-life place in town and hanging up your picture and saying, Missing reward. Somebody, somebody has said this, and I love this saying, that if God has a billfold, He has your picture in it. I love that saying. I don't know, it's not the most complicated or fancy saying, but for me, I like it. Somebody else said it this way, if God has a refrigerator, He's got your picture hanging on it. Yeah, listen, I'm not a... Uh, I, I'm like Forrest Gump. I'm not a smart man. So I, I, I like those simple illustrations. I like the thought that God has my picture in His billfold. That God has my picture on His refrigerator. I can identify with that. I've been in your homes. I know what my refrigerator looks like. I know who gets a spot on the refrigerator. I know how, how important. Man, if they get hung on the refrigerator, they matter. God says, I love you. One of my favorite stories, and I've shared this with you before, but I love this story. Bear with me as I share it one more time. Max Licata, in one of his books, writes of the young girl in Brazil who kept wanting to go to the big city, and her mama kept telling her, don't go, you'll end up in trouble. There's nothing good that goes on in the city. Sure enough, one morning she woke up and her daughter had left home. The mama began to work and save up all the money she could. And she went and had all the pictures she could made of herself. And she went, finally she went to town herself, and she went around every dive, every low-life spot in town, hanging up that picture of herself. And one night in a drug-induced, drunken stupor, that daughter came down from the bed of immorality in an upstairs room above a bar, and as she stumbled down those steps, she looked up and she saw a familiar face. And she went over and pulled that picture down off the wall, and on the back of that picture she read these words, no matter where you've been and what you've become, I love you, come home. Listen, why should we repent? Because God loves us anyway. Man, there is not another. I, I couldn't preach anything. I couldn't tell you anything any sweeter this morning than to tell you God loves you anyway. He loves you 
in spite of yourself. Get off of the road you're on and turn back, he says. Even though, he says, you have practiced spiritual adultery, you have rambled in Rome and got into all kinds of things, come home. I love you. The passion declared. The second element, the second reason we see for repentance is found in the next verse. When we read these words, he says to us, lift up your eyes to the bare heights and see, where have you not been ravished? By the wayside you have set awaiting lovers like an Arab in the wilderness. You have polluted the land with your vile whoredom. <coughs> the second reason for repentance are the practices described. As blunt as this verse may seem to you on first reading, I assure you that if you study this verse, you will find out it's much worse than you think. <clears throat> God begins in this verse to describe the actions of the people that He loves anyway. He says, first of all, of these people, He says, lift up your eyes and see where have you not been ravished. I, 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 there's no way for me to, well, I, I'm going to do my best to clean this up. The word ravished, the Hebrew word was so strong that, that the rabbis would not even use it. This is a, a word that is so offensive. Again, rabbis would all, would, wouldn't even use the word. To, to put it in a simple term for us today, the, the simplest way to put it would be, where have you not been raped? He says, everywhere you have been, you have been used and abused by this foreign worship that you have been involved in. This morning, let me say something to you very plainly and very clearly. Anything you worship other than the God of Israel will end up abusing and taking advantage of you. Just as Jeremiah says of the people of Israel that the, the religious practices they had allowed in had assaulted them, had taken advantage of them. Only a God who, as in verse 1, says, I don't care where you have been and how far you have went down. I love you has your best interest in heart. Why would we possibly consider going down any road that doesn't bring us to the feet of Jesus Christ? He says, you are like a Bedouin who has set up beside the road. I, I, I think about the, the time we spent 
in China. This was a very common sight, very common sight in, in, in the East. As you go down the road, there are all kinds of folks on the side of the road peddling their wares. All kinds of things. I, I remember on one occasion we were going, we were in one of those, and I can't even think of what they call them, the little trailer behind the bicycle. And we were going down the road, Rod and I were in, uh, in that thing, this poor little old man was, I don't know, he was 140 at least. He was trying to pedal me and Rhonda through the streets of China, but he was a slugging along. And there was a little girl running along beside of us trying to sell us a pocketbook. And she'd run along and she'd make an offer, and I said, that's too much. We'd, she'd drop back a little bit in a few minutes, she'd run back up and she'd say, this, that's too much. I've been told that they like to bargain over there, and I said, praise the Lord, that's my kind of environment. <laughs> I like to pedal that man and run that girl to death. And finally got the price where I was willing to pay for it. It was all over the place. They'd be sitting beside the road selling anything and everything. And I do mean everything. <laughs> Here, you want to buy yourself a lizard for supper? There it is. You can get it. God says you are like those Bedouins that sit beside the road. You're just sitting there. And he says, but you're sitting there awaiting lovers. In other words, he says of, of, of the Jews, he says, you're just hanging out, waiting on the next religion. You're waiting on the next God. You're waiting on the next immoral practice. You're just waiting on whatever else comes along, and you latch on to it, and you follow it. Listen, that may be far more blunt than you want to hear this morning, but that's what Jeremiah says. And you can't deny the fact that that's largely where America has come, where our culture has come in this world today. Whatever the newest fad, whatever the newest religion, whatever the newest practice to come down the road, we latch on to it. And, you know, you look at the Church of Scientology. You look at all the cults that are springing up. You look at all the little religions. Go home and search religion on your computer and see how many hits you get. See, if you want to worship it, it's out there. And it's not just some far-flung, rare thing. They have lots of followers. Listen, when they, can, when they can erect the church of Satan and have followers, we're latching on to whatever, whatever comes along. We need repentance because of the passion that is declared by God. I love you anyway. We need repentance because we're on the wrong road. We're practicing some things here that God says are, are, are vile, polluting the land. Listen, there are things going on in quote-unquote Christian churches that are polluting the land. When we've got men standing up even in... in uh, and again, I'm, I, I, I'm not a big fan of air quotes, but I'm going to... Uh, 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 Christian churches denying the, the inerrancy of God's Word, I'd just as soon go ahead and worship a totem pole as to stand up and take the Word of God and deny its, its accuracy and its truthfulness. 
would just as soon see them go off on some tangent and, 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 and some wild world as to stand up under the guise, under the banner of, of, of the Christian flag and stand there and deny the truth, the miracles, the accuracy of the Word of God. I'll be honest with you. I have way more respect for a Mormon peddling his bicycle all over the streets of town in the middle of July than I do for a spineless, lily-livered, yellow-backed man who will stand up and, and preach supposedly the gospel and deny the miracles therein. I have no use. I have way more respect for a Mormon or Jehovah's Witness or most any other cult there is than someone who will take the, the, the Word of God and butcher it and deny it. Listen, he says the practices that are going on demand repentance. But not only do we see the passion and the practices, but then look in verse 3. He says, therefore the showers have been withheld, and the spring rain has not come. Yet you have the forehead of a whore. You refuse to be ashamed. Third reason for repentance are the, is the previous discipline. God says, I've withheld the rain. The spring rain has not come. You look like a prostitute. That's what that sentence means. Everybody in this room understands the importance of rain. In particular, the spring rain. And if you know anything at all about Scripture, you know that in many instances when God is angry with His people, what is one of the things He does? He withholds rain. He says, you need to repent because you know of the discipline that I can and have meted out. You know, you know that I will not take lightly my people practicing sin. I will stand by so long and give them an opportunity to realize the error of their ways and turn around and go the other way. But if you continue down that road, I will, I have, and I will again bring discipline. Folks, I hadn't said too much about this. But if you can't look around today and say to some extent that the hand of God is paddling some folks behinds with all that is going on, with it all that is taking place 
in our world around us, it may not be, but it sure looks like God's trying to get some people's attention. When you look and you go out and you, I, I don't know how many of you keep up with it, I, I, I will tell you, I am fascinated by hydroelectric plants, by water dams. I, I'm fascinated by them. I'm fascinated by their construction. I'm fascinated by how they stand up and don't fall down. I, I, I just, uh, you know, I, they, they fascinate me. Um, one of my bucket list items, I'd love to see the Hoover Dam. You know, I, I, I'd like to go see it. You know, I, I know within the world of terrorism, they won't let you go down in it anymore, but I, I'd like to go down in it. When you see the pictures out of Lake Mead, and you see that creek that is left behind the Hoover Dam. How many of you remember about two years ago, there was a dam in California at Lake Oroville that they were worried the water had gotten so high and the spillway was collapsing and they were afraid the whole dam was going to collapse? Y'all remember that about two years ago? Highest dam in the United States. You know, this week, the water level in that lake got so low, they had to cut off the hydroelectric station. They don't have enough water to generate electricity at that dam. Because there hadn't been any rain. There wasn't any snow. There's wildfires raging. I hadn't even mentioned there's a virus that we can't explain and can't contain. God has, and God will, discipline. Just as a good parent who has a child who is going down the road of disobedience. Ordinarily, in most cases, most parents will watch that child for a moment and think, well, maybe they'll come to their senses. If they don't, then what happens? We'll say, we'll, we'll, we'll speak to them and say, hey, you need to stop that. If they don't, we'll probably say it a little louder. If they don't, then ordinarily the average parent, then the discipline level ratchets up accordingly. Right? You know, I, I don't know what discipline levels you have at your house, whether you spank, drown, stand them in the corner, give them time out. I can tell you I've never been put in time out in my life. Unless you count being knocked out, you know. <laughs> usually, usually my crimes are right on past time out. You know, they just, they were right, you know, we didn't even slow down at time out. Listen, if you believe for a moment that the church of Jesus Christ can continue on her path of disobedience and spiritual adultery, let's just call it what God calls it, without discipline, then you are not aware of history. Can I remind you, and I don't know who said it first, can I remind you of the statement that says, He who does not know his history 
is destined to repeat it. We need repentance. We should repent because of the pending hand of discipline. And finally, the final reason he gives, and these verses are, are, are somewhat mind-blowing. Have you not just now called to me my father, you are the friend of my youth. Will he be angry forever? Will he be indignant to the end? Behold, you have spoken, but you have done all the evil that you could. Do you understand what's being said in that verse? He says, did you just call on me? Didn't you just call my name? Now, go back and read the first verses. The first three verses. You have been practicing spiritual adultery. You have been wicked and vile and evil. And now, you have the audacity to call on me. You have the audacity to call on me. Behold, you have spoken, but you have done all the evil that you could. You have called on me from way down here on the wrong road. Anybody in here, don't raise your hand, don't volunteer any names. Anybody in here got a friend, or maybe we shouldn't even call them a friend, we'll just call them an acquaintance, that when you see their name on caller ID, or you hear their voice on the other end of the phone, or you see them at the door, the first thing runs through your mind is, well, I wonder what they want. Ooh, I must have struck a nerve. The children of Israel had run after foreign gods, had offered sacrifices to foreign gods, had prayed to foreign gods, had worshipped them, had served them, had married their people, had practiced all of their immoral. Listen, some of these, some of those foreign gods that the children of Israel were chasing after, some of their practices were so immoral. Most of them involved prostitutes and illicit sex. Many of them even inside of the temple itself. They had followed down that road, and now that things were going wrong, here, is God going to be mad at us forever? Or are you going to change the road you're on? What was going on in Israel was something like this. 
It'd be like if I walked up to Archie, slugged him once, and said, forgive me, I'm sorry. And he said, okay, I'll forgive you. And I slugged him again. And I said, forgive me, I'm sorry. And he said, okay. I slugged him again. Oh, forgive me, I'm sorry. Okay. And I slugged him again. And he said, I'm sorry. Okay, you're forgiven. And I slugged him again. And we just kept going through that. And then eventually, after I slugged him 10, 12, 15, 20 times, he gets mad. I go, what you get mad about? I said I was sorry. I don't know which one of us you'd think was the craziest. Him after slug number two or three, or me for being surprised that he got mad. How? Can we be surprised if God is angry with this world? A world that is aborting babies left and right. A world that is practicing all kinds of vile religions. People who are proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ as Savior who won't darken a church door. We need repentance. Not enough to slow down. Not enough to stop. Jeremiah says, here are four reasons you should repent. Because God loves you. Because of how wicked your practices have been. Because of the very real potential for discipline. And because of your foolishness to expect me to bail you out from the pits. I want to ask you to bow your heads this morning. The musicians are going to come. I want to challenge you this morning not to pray for revival because that's getting the cart before the horse. Let's begin to pray for repentance. That God's people would turn their hearts. Not the, not the guy out on the street, not the lost man, but that God's people this prophecy, this sermon wasn't for the Philistines. This sermon was for the Jew. This sermon today is not for the pornographer, the drug dealer, or the, uh, the, the guy at the beer joint. This, this, this message is for the church who needs to repent. Who we need to turn. We need to run the feet of Jesus. We need repentance. Join me in praying for that prayer. God, bring repentance. Bring a change. Bring a turn in your people. You're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ. You are most assuredly on the wrong road.
The road you're on, if you don't, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, the road you're on will not get you to heaven. But I can show you how. I can show you from God's Word how you can know Jesus, how you can have heaven as your eternal home. Why should you change? Because God loves you. He loves you so much, He sent His Son to die for you, to pay for your sins, to save you. You need Jesus Christ this morning. Whether you're online with us, whether you're in this room, if you're in this room, I invite you to come. If you're online, I invite you to send me an email, make a comment. Let us know that you need Jesus. And I'll be sure to reach out to you and let you know how you can be saved. But let's pray for repentance, a change, a turn. Because He loves us. Because of the practices. Because of the discipline. Let's pray for repentance. Father, we thank You this morning for Your Word. God, we pray, Lord, that You'll take Your Word today. and God, You'll... Burn it into our hearts. God, that today would be the day that your people would realize that we don't need revival, we need repentance, and repentance brings revival. God, that we would look at what, which road we're on, how we're traveling. God, is the road we're walking bringing us closer to you or further from you? God, that you'd convict hearts here this morning. Speak to us. Change us. Turn us. Bring us to you.